The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. Good afternoon and welcome everyone to ASRM Today. My name is Becca O'Connor and I'm joining as a guest host today from ASRM's DC office, the Public Affairs Office. I'm joined by Dr. Diana Bianchi. Dr. Bianchi is the director of the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, part of the National Institutes of Health. In this role, which she has held since 2016, Dr. Bianchi oversees research on pediatric health and development, maternal health, medical rehabilitation, population dynamics, reproductive health, and intellectual and developmental disabilities. As the 2020 chair of the Friends of NICHD, which is a coalition of more than 100 organizations representing patients, providers, scientists, and caregivers united in support for the work and programs funded through the NICHD at the NIH, it's my pleasure to speak with you today, Dr. Bianchi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Becca, for inviting me to join you today. Absolutely. So let's just kick off with um, a broad question. For those members that may not be as familiar as I am, can you tell us a little bit about NICHD and its history, mission, and priorities, please? Sure. Um, well, we're called the National Institutes of Health because there are 27 institutes, of which we are one. Um, we were founded in 1962, inspired by Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who, for whom we are, are named, uh, who was President John F. Kennedy's sister. And the initial focus of the Institute was to conduct research and training on human development across the lifespan, intellectual and developmental disabilities, and key processes occurring during pregnancy. Now that that focus has changed over time. And in fact, um, in 2019, we released a new strategic plan, which included a full refresh of our mission and vision. Um, we really needed to understand where do we lead within the NIH and where can we partner with other institutes? And we had quite a number of uh, external participants in our strategic planning process. And I'm sure some of the people listening were part of that process and were grateful for their input. But I think what most people don't realize is how much of our portfolio has to do with reproductive health. In fact, the five strategic uh, plan scientific themes, really, you could, you could argue that almost all of them have something to do with reproductive health. So, so those five themes are understanding the molecular, cellular, and structural basis of development. And so that's where we would get into the actual development of reproductive systems in model organisms, as well as in humans, promoting gynecologic, andrologic, and reproductive health. So clearly there's a big focus there that relates to reproductive health setting the foundation for healthy pregnancies and lifelong wellness. The other thing um, you asked about mission. Um, so we, we shortened our mission statement and it was almost like a Zen-like Zen experience to 
to crystallize it in terms of who are we? What is our ethos as an institute? So our new mission statement is to lead research and training to understand human development, improve reproductive health, enhance the lives of children and adolescents and optimize abilities for all. And obviously with my voice, I underlined reproductive health, but a lot of people ask us, why didn't we put pregnancy in the mission state? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in fact, a number of our council members were quite pleased with that. We did it intentionally because our portfolio in reproductive health is so much bigger than just pregnancy alone. And, and I remember one of our advisory council members saying that she was quite pleased we, we said it that way because it really embraced people who struggle with infertility. So we, we put pregnancy in our vision statement, which is healthy pregnancies, healthy children, and healthy and optimal lives for all. But improved reproductive health is, is very aligned, obviously, with the mission of the ASRM. And I guess the last thing, just to get at your question about priorities, Many people erroneously think that we're the home of all research pertaining to children at NIH. And uh, some, of, some people have heard me say this a lot, but it's, it's a message worth repeating that we only fund 18% of child health research at the NIH. So virtually all other institutes and centers are doing something related to child health research. However, we are by far the lead institute in terms of maternal health research. So in contrast to 18% in pediatrics, we fund well over 50% of the maternal health research at NIH. So wow. we by far the lead institute in that area. And fully 30% of our extramural research portfolio is in reproductive health. So in that vein, and, and you mentioned 2020 in particular, um, being the year that it has been, can you speak a little bit about what unique challenges or opportunities um, in particular have arisen in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and what the Institute has been doing in response to that? Um, sure, Becca, that's obviously a very timely question and something that has been occupying us really pretty much nonstop since March. But I think Probably our biggest challenge was the fact that in the beginning, going back to March and early April, it was thought that really children didn't get sick from SARS-CoV-2 mm -hmm. and pregnant women were basically young and healthy. So we really didn't need to worry much about them. You know, we needed to make the case for our populations. We needed to show that uh, children did have specific needs, that pregnant women did have specific needs. And we were certainly aware of, and this is going back to the spring, we were aware of maternal deaths occurring in Iran in particular, but also in Europe. And so we, we really began to think about um, some of the un unique issues that needed to be addressed in our populations. Now, um, because we only fund 18% of child health research, we've also taken the lead in establishing a trans NIH 
Pediatric Research Consortium known as NPERC. And that group started even as early as mid-March thinking about issues that were unique to children. And very quickly afterwards, that same group said, we better be thinking about pregnant women as well because they are interlinked. And so that group was already thinking about research questions that needed to be addressed by any of the institutes and centers working uh, with these populations. Now, um, you probably are aware of these major trans NIH initiatives. For example, the RADx initiative, which is really focused on developing and implementing technologies uh, that will speed up testing and make testing more accurate and eventually point of care so that you can test and contact trace and treat people as efficiently as possible. And we have been very active in trying to get um, funding. These are mainly administrative supplements for some of our uh, existing and funded investigators so that they can add on to their existing studies to uh, address pregnant women, for example, or uh, women in underserved areas. But the, the real thing that, that kind of changed the equation for us was when the reports came out from Europe that children were starting to get very sick and develop this multi-system inflammatory syndrome of childhood. Right. And that's when it was recognized that, well, maybe children do get sick and there were children dying. Mm -hmm. And then Shortly afterwards, the CDC came out with information that pregnant women were getting sicker than expected when compared to women of the same age who were not pregnant. So it was really much later in the spring that there was a recognition that, yes, our populations uh, were suffering from COVID. And even more recently, now we recognize that people with intellectual and physical disabilities are having specific issues um, with COVID disease. So what have we done so far? First, it was our maternal fetal medicine unit network, which is a, a series of 12 sites that have been working together for a long time that put together a protocol. And, and this study now has the acronym GRAVID, which stands for Gestational Research Assessments for COVID. It's um, a retrospective study using electronic health records of women who delivered between uh, March and December 2019 as compared to March to December 2020. So there's a pre-COVID era and a post-COVID era. And the underlying hypothesis is that, that there will be an increased number of uh, pregnancy complications, preterm deliveries, preeclampsia, maternal complications, including hypertension, um, uh, clotting disorders, respiratory distress, et cetera. And all of that will be presumed to be due to COVID. These women in the, the full 24,500 cohort um, they are not all going to be tested for COVID. It's really just a comparison of healthcare utilization. For example, the rate of cesarean section delivery, 
in 2020 compared to 2019. Now, within that group of 24,500 women, there's a nested subset of 3,000 women who are COVID positive and the natural history of their illness, as well as um, their the health of their newborn up until the time that the newborn is delivered will also be part of that study. I just want to mention one or a couple of other things about COVID that are that are unique to our populations. One is there's this reported global increase in the incidence of stillbirths. And uh, so we're wondering why that is occurring. Is that a function of women not being able to get to their prenatal visits? And that is something that's being looked at in Gravid as well. So again, it's about how healthcare has changed, how, how prenatal care has changed during this time. So why is there a global increase in stillbirths? And there's also a global decrease in preterm delivery unless the woman is known to be SARS-CoV-2 infected. So in the infected women, there's a higher incidence of preterm delivery, but globally there's a decreased incidence, which is very interesting. And then the other thing is, you know, what is the role of the placenta in all of this? So we have the Human Placenta Project, which has been ongoing for five years. And the limited information that we have suggests that COVID-19 is also a vasculopathy. And of course, the placenta is just filled with blood vessels. And, you know, what effect is that going to have on the newborn? We we have preliminary data from Dr. Roberto Romero's intramural laboratory that suggests that the placenta does not have ACE2 receptors, and that might be the major reason why newborns um, do not seem to get infected on a regular basis, although there are some exceptions to that. So there's some very rare cases of vertical transmission. Fortunately, we're not aware of congenital anomalies that are the result of an infection, but we really don't know anything at all yet about the long-term effects of being a fetus inside of a mother who has SARS-CoV-2. So that's a little bit about what we're doing from the maternal perspective. I, I probably, in the interest of time, won't get into all of our pediatric research, but we are also increasingly paying attention to the so-called long haul effects. It's remarkable to me how much you are doing, um, and particularly in a time when I know um, there aren't, you know, overflowing resources coming in the direction of, of the agency and, and knowing that you are working with some of the best of the best to solve problems that are um, just exponentially complicated um, by all that's been happening with COVID, um, let alone on their own. Um, so my hat is off to you. Is there anything else that you want to be sure to share with the AS? SRM community that we should know about um, what to look for from the Institute in, in the months and years ahead and how we can most constructively be helpful and supportive of the Institute's important mission. Well, we're, we're so grateful for everything that you do to help support our mission and to communicate the importance of our mission. And so thank you for that. Um, I, I think I also forgot to mention, because it's not something that we're directly doing right now, but we're very concerned about vaccines being tested and being available for both pregnant and lactating women. 
And this is, this is a great example of why our recently completed set of implementation recommendations for PREGLAC, research on pregnant women and lactating women, which we uh, communicated to Secretary Azar, and it's now publicly available, where we say very clearly that pregnant women need to be included as a research population. Um, in terms of things that your members should know, we have a number of funding opportunities that are currently available that I think are very exciting that don't necessarily have to do with SARS-CoV-2. So we've got funding opportunity announcements on exploring fertility status in males and females as a marker of overall health. Dr. Bianchi, Dr. Bianchi thank you thank so you much so for much. joining us today and for all that you're doing for our field and for women and children across the nation. Thank you and thank you to your team. My pleasure. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. 